One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details greetings and salutations mortals this is the blizzard watch podcast and i am your host and i'm also a mortal I've always thought that was weird if you call the people mortals. It's like, yeah, so you, you can die. You get killed later on in the fight. You're immortal. But anyway, hi, I'm Matt. With me this week is Joe, the co-host. Uh, as far as I know, Joe is mortal. If he's not, he's been polite enough not to talk about it too much. That's I'm which is pretty great. sure I'm I hate mortal. it when people t- yeah. I hate it when people constantly tell me that they can't die. Great. But in, why don't you? But anyway, this week, uh, you guys know that patch 9.1 dropped. A lot of stuff is happening. We did a lore watch this weekend, kind of talking about a ton of it. I don't think we're going to go back and belabor that just yet. We're going to let things simmer a bit for a while. The mm-hmm. the race for World First is going on as we speak uh, in Mythic um, Sanctum of Domination. There's a lot of stuff happening, so we're going to let that kind of go on. And we're going to just skip straight to you guys' questions because you sent in a ton of them this week. We've got a lot of stuff to go over. Which, so thank you. We're going to... Yeah. Oh, yeah. We really appreciate it. Uh, we got stuff from from our Discord. We got emails. Uh, so we've got a whole bunch of stuff to look at. We're going to cover it. Um, I did steal one question uh, from Lorewatch that straight up said Lorewatch in it because, A, it was something we kind of talked about this weekend, and B, we've been doing a lot of raid-focused Lorewatches. And by the way, if you have not been listening to Go Amazing Show, Joe does... Since we've been doing the raid-focused ones, and we're probably going to go back to doing some more of those, it does mean that we haven't been able to do as many questions. And so I, I wanted to get this question answered. So it's in here, too. Uh, but yeah, Joe's going to read them for us, so if you don't mind, Joe. Oh, wait, I have to tell you where to send them. That's right. I'm, I'm a little up tonight. I'm kind of... It's been a weird day. Anyway, if you have a question for the podcast, you can send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzardwatch so we know it's for this show. Uh, or you can go to our, our Discord and go to the patron Q and podcast questions channel if you're a patron. Uh, and we look there first because that's a, a perk for being a patron. If you want to support us, by the way, Patreon, totally, we would love that. Um, but if you're not a patron but you still want to ask us questions, we also have the Q questions channel. Uh, look, um, so there's two, there's two channels on our Discord you can use, or you can email us. Or, I mean, if you really want to, you can use Twitter. But i got to be honest, I'm terrible about looking for, at stuff on my Twitter. I, I constantly forget. Uh, but you can do that. You can either, you can at Blizzard Watch, and they'll probably be forwarded to us. Or you can at me and Joe directly. Um, so that's another way if you, if you want to try and do it that way. Or you can even, if you go to our Discord, you can directly add us there as well. Yep. Um, people have done that, right? Yeah, people have absolutely done that. No, I, I was literally just yeah. having a conversation in our supporter chat uh, last night and today. So, you know, thank you. Yeah. So you can do that, too. Um, there's lots of ways to get questions to us, and we love having them. So 
feel free to do that. But right now, Joe's going to read them for us, so if you don't mind, Joe. Not at all. Uh, first question. Dear Watchers, what do you think is the mentality of intelligent undead who want everyone to be uniformly dead? For example, Arthas, Kel'Thuzad, Sylvanas, etc. Is there an overarching reasoning to this? Some sort of cosmic logic of we will all be one under the banner of death. What are your thoughts on characters such as these and their overarching motives? Thank you for your time, Rickles. Um, it's varied. It's super varied. Uh, I was just going to say, I don't even know if Sylvanas falls under that rubric. I, I don't know either, because I don't know what her end goal was. And It feels like what Sylvanas wanted was to completely remake the cosmos. Like, she, she her, her, her goal wasn't just to make everybody dead. It was to make life itself something else. Something where they couldn't be taken away, because, I mean, that was kind of like her motivation, right? Like, yeah. all of her potential was taken away. All of the potential of life in its in its weirdness was taken away from her and other other folks. Like, that was sort of her driving thing for a very long time. So maybe it's not necessarily make everybody uni- universally or uh, unilaterally dead. It's maybe it's find a way that they don't have to, that death doesn't have to exist. So Yeah, Arthas seemed to think that it would be better for everything on Azeroth to be part of the Scourge. And thus, it would survive the Legion no matter what. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't be alive, but it would continue. There would be a continuation under his rule. That seemed to be where he was going. Kel'Thuzad, I would also not argue that Kel'Thuzad necessarily wants everything to be dead. I think he, he wanted pers- Yeah, he wanted personal power. He liked necromancy, and, th- and it was a, a forbidden art that he wanted to master just because he could. Because people forget this. Kel'Thuzad was an incredibly skilled wizard. He was so good that at a very early age, he got on the Council of Six. Yep. And he felt like he'd done everything he could do with the magic that he had. And he wanted this new magic that nobody else on the Council was studying because they, they'd expressly forbidden it. And he was like, no, why? this is this is just more different kind of power. Why, why shouldn't we use it? Why shouldn't I use it? Uh, I don't think he necessarily cares if people are dead or not. Like, sure, he's fine with it, and he's fine with like ruling over the dead, but he's just as fine being the only lich in town if it suits his purposes. Um, I, so I would argue that there's not necessarily a correlation between these characters. Kel'Thuzad does, does a lot of stuff that he does because he wants personal power, or because somebody far more powerful than him is telling him to do them. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, the I, I don't want to say like the good things, but the interesting things about Warcraft in general is that death means something different for everybody. Um, it's, and their motivations therein are, are always wildly different, which makes makes sense. It's not always the same. It's not the samey type thing. Um, now, it, uh, in stories where, some of the villains do want everybody to become dead like them, um, which is this is sort of like a classic trope of uh, fantasy storytelling uh, that we've seen repeatedly. Um, it tends to be from a root of them being outcasts from the very beginning. And because they're outcasts, now they want to make everybody equally outcast because, well, if I have to suffer, everybody needs to suffer. Everybody should be on the same the same footing. Like we see that a lot, too. Um so it's it's always tricky, and some of it is just they don't want the living to exist anymore. Um, I'm trying to think of the best comparison I can really give it is not a WoW one, but it's I'll go to Warhammer for this just because way back in ye olden days there was this character called Nagash, uh, he who has simply who's since become the god of the land of dead. Um, but before that, he was just a really powerful lich. And he wanted the living to die because the living kept killing all of the dead. So he had his own power base. He had his own army. He had a whole bunch of, of things under his... They basically had a whole society of, like, skeletons and, and undead that were their own kingdom. And they constantly fought. And eventually the living were like, no, nah, we're just going to go wipe them out. They're, they're monsters. Let's go take care of it. So there was this whole pushback where it's like, okay, well, you want to kill us. I guess we're going to go to war then. And so he wanted them to die, not because he wanted them to be like him, uh, but because it's like they wouldn't leave me the heck alone. And you see that sometimes. It's, it's evolved since, and that's more the more simplistic version of like how he was back in like the 90s. But you see that too, where it's like, okay, well, the, the living did something really, really dumb and really set off this, this particular undead culture, and now they're coming to get us. So, I mean, it's well, like, and that's actually sort of reflected in a lot of the Forsaken, where it is. Uh, Putris is a good example. Putris, I mean, hated the Scourge, absolutely, but also hated the living. 
you know, he hated the living for constantly, you know, not really trusting or respecting the Forsaken or even in the case of the Alliance trying to wipe them out. And he hated the Scourge for having made them undead in the first place because they didn't want to be the Forsaken don't want to be Forsaken. They they are just don't have any choice. I mean, it's it's be completely dead or be this. And if you, you know, the only choice you have, if they you take it. But I always liked Putress. Like I, I kind of was sad that he went away as fast as he did because it was just such an interesting that moment, the Wrathgate moment, really crystallized his character for me. Where he's when he's up there and he screams, "Did you think we had forgotten? Mm-hmm. Did you think we had forgiven?" And it's like that concept of you know you've pushed us to this, you turned us into this, you you wouldn't accept us. Now we're going to we're going to get all of you, and and that and that's, continues that's, right. Like that's not even yeah. the, and it's continued even recently. You see it with um, Battle for Azeroth definitely has a lot of that, especially with uh, why can't I think of his name? The Mage, um, the Tide, the Tide Sage that became undead. Oh yeah, I know the guy you talk about. Yeah, but like uh, I don't remember his name. He wanted to go back to his family, but he couldn't do that because well, they would never accept him in that state. So yeah, so like you can even look at one of the recent books. Like look at. Um, Look at before the storm, right? Mm-hmm. Look at look at how the Forsaken were treated. Look at how all that sort of went on, and look at what happened with trying to arrange for even families to go meet with their Forsaken counterparts. Um, how many of them turned it down? How many were rejected? That was a whole big thing of of these Forsaken who were feeling sad and rejected, and like they were basically thrown into the trash because they're alive. They're still here. They still remember who they were, and they wanted to go see their family. And their family wouldn't want to do anything with them because they're undead. Doesn't matter that they're still alive, quote unquote. They they they've moved on, and that's got to be hurtful. Like imagine if you were in a place where your loved ones didn't want to see you because of something that happened to get like out of your control, and how that would just how would that weigh on you? And so that's a huge part, I think, of some of their motivation. It's not necessarily that they're just mad at the living. It's you know they're just hurt. You know sometimes it's just. It's that level of pain that sort of brings it all in. Hi, everybody. Hopefully we should be back. Uh, hopefully that has fixed it. And we apologize. This is the, the ups and downs of doing this thing live instead of recorded. Um, if we done it recorded, you wouldn't hear any of it. But on the other <laughs> hand, you wouldn't hear our weird stories. So there you go. Uh, also true. So we're trying a little something different. And hopefully this will work out a little bit better. But yeah, so right. I think we're done with that question. Unless there's anything else you want to add and we can move on to the next one. No, no, I'm fine. All right, so this next one comes from Granite Dad. Uh, question for the Blizzard Watch podcast, or the queue if preferred. Is it time to retire fear mechanics from random mobs? I'm thinking about it because I've been playing a lot of Fallout 76, and there's a boss mob there that casts a fear that I find very frustrating. Then I logged back in and got feared by some random mob in Corthia slash the Maw. Uh, and I ran into about three other mobs while feared and died. Any encounter with an NPC where you have zero player control with no recourse is needlessly punishing on my book. I don't mind interrupts or PvP fears as much. It just baffles me that this is considered good gameplay when I want to throw my keyboard across the room. Frustration. Uh, I mean, not gonna lie, you're not alone. I mean, Matt and I talk about loss of player control as a thing pretty regularly, actually. Uh, yeah. How we don't like it. But also, MMOs are in a weird spot, right? Like, fear is a mechanic. It's been around for a long time. My gripe, I think, personally, isn't so much that it happens. It's the length of time that it happens. Um, like, I was just doing the terror group fight in uh, in Sanctum, and I was doing it on my hunter because I'm not going to, I don't raid on my hunter, and I just want to do that and get some cool stuff because the bows are nice and things like that, whatever. Um, so I'm doing it on LFR, and I notice that, like, the fear lasts for, like, 16 seconds if you get hit. I, it, it's, I know it's slightly less than that, but it feels like forever. That's an eternity. Like, a one, a two, or a three-second fear, yeah, I can deal with that. But anything that makes you run for that long and cause that much trouble, yeah, like, it's it's getting old real quick. Yeah, I, I honestly think that any fear past six seconds, I think, shouldn't even exist. That six seconds in World of Warcraft is a very long time to not be able to control your character. Um I would just, I straight up would never allow a fear to go beyond six seconds. If I'm sure there are reasons. I'm sure there are game devs out there right now who could come in and explain why they do it and why it's actually good. But I, you know, we're, this is just personally a, a reaction. I, I really hate it. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, this and, is I mean, our I play a warrior, it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I play a warrior. So I've got ways around it. 
I, I can, you know, I can break it if I really want to. I can berserk a rage and get out of it. I used to be but, able to. I can't do it anymore because they changed the way my my mechanic for breaking that works. Uh, they don't tremor totem anymore. Tremor totem has to be done before the fear goes off. You cannot do oh, it in man. the middle of it anymore. Which oh, yeah. I'm going to throw out there. Uh, this is going to be my gripe, and if there are any devs listening, please bring that back to PVE. Please, for the love of all things that are WoW-related, let Tremor Totem be cast while you are CC'd or feared during PvE. If you want to keep it like it is for PvP, fine. I get it. But holy heck, it makes that that totem virtually, virtually useless in a PvE setting. Just yeah, you need to basically... You'd, you'd need to have a, a really clear call that this is coming to, to use it. And, and yeah, that that's bad. I, I don't like that. Uh, but... In general, I, I do think that I also think your point about you know fear on random mobs is a is a decent one to point out. It's one thing that a boss has a fear mechanic. Um, you should be afraid of bosses at least a little bit. It makes sense in the story of the game that this gigantic behemoth or this incredibly powerful lich or this you know arcane master or what have you would be a little daunting and and it could focus itself on you and you you'd be afraid. But random monster number seventy two that's just out there. In the world, I feel like too many of them have fear. I'll be upfront with you. It's like, why am I afraid of that thing? And w- w- this goes back to one of my absolute favorite cartoons about World of Warcraft of all time, which came out in like 2005. This cartoon came, and it was, you know, a, 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 an undead, an undead character in the Plaguelands running. They get you know, the 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 undead. He's fighting scourge. The scourge casts fear on him. He goes, "Oh my God! It's the it's the Walking Dead! Run, 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 run!" Wait a minute. You know, he's like running, running, running. Then it's like, "Oh, wait, wait, hold on! Why am I afraid of him again? That's I'm the Walking Dead." Wait, you know, and that kind of thing. It's like my my practically eight foot tall, you know. Torin clad in armor wrought from god flesh and carrying a sword the size of a bus is afraid of a bear. Well, let's <laughs> you know. I mean, let's 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 take it even a step further. At this point, we are we are the Maw Walker, we are the champions and and all this good stuff and it's like we've seen we've seen some stuff, folks. We <laughs> we're not exactly unseasoned. So like this random soul in the Maw going boo and us running away for 10 seconds. Yeah, that feels a little it feels a little off-putting. Right. Yeah, it's one. It's one thing if I'm if the jailer himself screams at me. I'm, okay, maybe I'd be scared. Even but, the terror group. Okay, I can understand that. The thing. The thing's a massive like behemoth. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sure. Makes sense. Hell yeah. Okay. Fine. Whatever. She's she's a big weird tentacly monster thing. One hundred percent. Okay. Got it. Random soul guy that's smaller than me and doesn't even have a full body. Probably not going to bother me. At this point, you're not even the scariest ghost I've seen today. <laughs> so you know. So yeah, I I do think that your point about maybe it's a little overused is is a, it's one at least worth considering mm-hmm. um i don't want to take fear out of the game i do think that it's got its places um i i actually i know a lot of you know having characters who can do various fear effects is kind of fun one of my favorite things i used to do and i don't know if this still works but it was great when it did intimidating shout used to basically uh you you would charge something you'd hit you'd hit it with intimidating shout the thing you hit with Intimidating Shout would be rooted in place. Um, it wouldn't move. No, yeah. It wouldn't move. The things around it would run away. And usually what would happen is then you'd, you'd immediately hit the thing that you were Intimidating Shouting, so it would break fear on that. But everything else would be running around, and you'd just be fighting one guy. But if you were fast enough, you could charge something, hit it with Intimidating Shout, and immediately switch targets to the thing that was running away. And that wouldn't break just because you hit it. That would stay feared for like eight seconds, which was a ridiculously long amount of time, I freely admit that. But my wife started playing World of Warcraft before I did, and she started playing a hunter. She was like much higher level than me for a long time because I just switched from my paladin to a warrior. But around level, she was like 48 when I finally started catching up. And I was like, I think it was like level 45 or 46. And she used to love to duel me because, you know, she could do a ton of stuff to me at range and I couldn't do much. And then I figured out this trick where I could charge to her pet, hit Intimidating Shout, and immediately tab over to her and hamstring her. And so while she was running away from me, unable to do anything for eight seconds, I was hitting her with Mortal Strike and going nuts. And that's how I beat her in our, the first duel I beat her in. So I have a soft spot for 
Um, after my wife kicked my butt like 17 times in a row, uh, <laughs> it, ca- it came in and I managed to win one fight. Uh, and that's so I have a soft spot for it. But I do think that it needs to be separate from PvP and PvE. Like they, they are different things at this point, and it does need to be different in them. I'm totally on board with that. But I do think in general, we could see less fear on things that are just not particularly scary at this point. Yeah. Um, But I I definitely think it should be a boss mechanic. I definitely think it should be in the game. I definitely think characters who have it should have it, Um, especially like priests um, who've done a lot with fear over the years. And warlocks. I think warlocks have like a really cool fear thing that's actually a horror mechanic and not even fear. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So don't want to take it away from anybody, but I do think we could see it less on, on just random McBear or random Ghost Bear or what have you. Ghost Bear. You don't want to fight Ghost Bear. No, no. But yeah, I'm, I'm in the same camp, but hopefully that answers your question. We're not we're not totally against it, but we're not also totally for it. We're in that happy medium space. Uh, but our next set of questions, and there are two questions here, come from Estrella, uh, who is a Blood Elf Paladin from Agra on EU. Uh, so question number one. Uh, in some episodes, you said the Jailer had interest in Helia because of her ability to create planes. I know the scale is different, but doesn't Bomsamdi have the same ability within the Shadowlands? Trick question, because we don't know. Uh, the best and worst thing about Bomsamdi is we still actually have no idea what his power actually is. Um, yeah, he he has a plane. He has the other side, but we don't know how that works. And we don't know if that was his to begin with. We don't know because when we go there, it's he's sort of wor- like Moizala's there. And Moizala is the one who got him to be a Loa in the first place. Is it Moizala's place that he's just taking? Yeah, because we do take it over for him against mm-hmm. Mazala. The, the implication is definitely that Mazala was in charge of it. He was the one controlling it while you were running around trying to save Wansamdi. So, yeah, there's definitely that aspect to it. And technically, the places we go while we're in the other side are actual physical places that are linked to the other side via whatever the veil is, right? So, like, when you go into, let's say, the Mechagon area... It says Mechagon. It is Mechagon. It's a portion of it separate. When you go and deal with the, the Ardenweld portion with that broker that's there, it is Ardenweld. You can see the stuff off in the distance. It's it's a little bit different. So it's I don't know what the extent of his power actually is. And he makes a very uh, concerted effort to hide that. Uh, mm-hmm. He doesn't want people to know what his power truly is or what he's truly capable of. Uh, but he is definitely capable of more than we see. Whether or not he can create entire planes of existence is a whole other thing. We know that he can bridge the gap between worlds. Uh, we saw that in Battle for Azeroth. We saw that here uh, in Shadowlands when we started doing that whole questing. If you did Ardenweld uh, and did any of those, those sort of questing uh, items before that led up to the other side. And that seems to be what he's able to do, at least up front, is just kind of sh- make that barrier between locations uh, create a tunnel, more or less. So I don't know if he can actually make anything bigger than that. It should also be pointed out that we don't actually know the extent of Helia's power. It's true. We know that she was involved in creating the the elemental planes that imprisoned the 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 elemental lords we don't know exactly how she did it or what the mechanism was those planes seem more like out pockets they seem like they're connected to for lack of a better word the prime material plane i'm calling it that because dnd has a word for it and wow doesn't yeah so Um, we're just going to adopt it because it makes yeah but those planes seem to be connected to it and just separate from it they're like it's kind of like if you decided to build an expansion onto your house um, it's not the same as building the house. You're, you're just adding something onto it. That could be the, the extent of her ability. Um, or it could be, you know, she worked with um, High Father Ra, uh, Raden, to do it. So how much of it was him versus how much of it was her? That's another thing we don't know. She's not a, a watcher. And I mean, She's a Titanforged who was, you know, she, she worked directly for Odin, and Odin thought of her as a daughter, but she's not on the same, she wasn't originally on the same level as Odin. Yeah, and don't forget, she was trapped as well, not just Odin. Like, if she had the ability to create a pocket dimension and just trap Odin, she would have done that, but she was also trapped for a while. We, we inadvertently freed her, right? Like, when we killed her, we set her free. Mm-hmm. And that was part of that was a whole big thing. Like her followers were trying to get her out of that little pocket dimension. So it's yeah, what her, what the extent of her power is is also in question. Yeah, it's up in the air. We know she has some 
like she still has some expertise that he might la- might want and 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 value. Plus, I'm pretty sure that the entire bit with the eye was to draw drive a wedge between Odin and Helia in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like they they definitely wanted to to corrupt that relationship. Um, the jailer's been up to this stuff for a long time, and we're still following in the dots. One of the things that occurred to me the other day when I was thinking about this was Joe had mentioned, and this this is a big segue, so we're going to cut it try to keep it short. Joe had mentioned that the Jailer's new look kind of combines elements. It looks kind of drusty. Um, he's got like a chest plate that looks like the Drust do when you see them in Ardenweald. Uh, it, it also kind of looks like the Ardenweald armor set, which, mm-hmm. you know, if Zoval, the, the Jailer, was originally involved in the whole Shadowlands as one big thing, it makes sense that he would combine elements of other groups, right? Maybe the reason the Drust are the way they are is they made a pact with him. Maybe that's how they created Thros. Because it would make and, sense if that's what he did with Helia, right? Yeah, if it's Helia taught them how to create Thros, and they created Thros as their own weird, abominable land of the dead, where they they sent themselves instead of to the Shadowlands. He'd know how to do that, and also it might mean that the whole deal, the whole pact with Odin in the first place, was to set that up because the Drust are Vrykul. They're a, they're a group of Vrykul who separated away when the shattering, the, you know, the, the original sundering happened. You know, they've, they're exiles, but they are Vrykul. Mm-hmm. And so by having Odin's eye, he would have a way to influence them. He would have a connection to them. Yeah, I, I'm, there's a lot of possibilities here. We don't know what Helia's limits are. We don't know what, we know Muzala was working for the Jailer. So if Muzala created the other side, that might be how he did it. He might have actually done it using Helia's knowledge. You know, this is all still up in the air. There's a lot more we could possibly learn in the future about all of it. And I think we will, too. And I think that's one of the most important things that we should mention. Helia has not been resolved at all. We've dealt with her twice in storyline as far as what's happened so far in Shadowlands. We haven't dealt with her since. Her, Her story is still yet to be fully revealed to us. We have everything that just happened with the jailer. So more stuff is going to come out about that. So it's, it's going to be fascinating to learn more about their process, especially in, again, if you didn't listen to our last lore watch, please go back and do so. Uh, shameless self-promotion. But we talked about, there's still more story to tell. And we're in an interesting position where now we can start getting some of the inner workings of whatever plan was revealed to Savannah's. And this is information we didn't have before, but we are working on getting that's going to fill in some gaps and possibly fuel some very wild speculation from us here. Um, but there's going to be some really interesting things to come regarding Helia. And I think Blom Samdi still, cause I don't think he's done yet. The Drust as well. And the whole idea of creating pocket dimensions, because again, don't forget, Corthia and the Shadowlands itself is basically just one big collection of pocket dimensions. Like mm-hmm. the four zones we go to, Corthia getting pulled into the Maw, these are all like little pocket dimensions that are getting like they, they exist in their own little bubble, but can still touch or be connected to the other ones in some manner. So things, layers upon layers upon layers here. But I think we'll move on to your second question because you do have another one here. Uh, so question number two from Astrea What races from the D&D settings missing in the Warcraft lore you think could easily fit the setting? Uh, choose one for alliance, horde, and one for generic monster type. For me, it would be interesting uh, a warforge-like race as both horde and alliance being constructed by gnomes or the goblins after studying the techniques the keepers use to create the titan forge in the halls of stone, and the halls of lightning. What do you think, Matt? I gotta go first. I've I've been going yeah. first on most of these. It's your turn. Yeah, I like that warforge idea, but since you used it, I can't. So, um, <laughs> I have actually thought for a very long time now that the 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 dragonkin not the dragonkin uh the dragonborn right, dragonborn thank you the dragonborn or the draconians since they seem to be using the kryn guys as like proto dragonborn um would be an interesting thing to bring in wow has them kind of wow has you know a group of draconian types and it would be interesting if they then you know a player a playable version that wasn't as big and it wasn't like the cent- the centaurian ones that kind of have like a you know four legs and two arms if they just brought in like a, a straight up playable dragon born type race for the horde. That would be kind of cool. Um, for the Alliance, it's kind of weird because Draenei are basically tieflings and Asimar at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They're like, they're, they're Asimar in their attitudes and their connection to like holiness and so forth, but they look like tieflings. Hooves, 
horns, you know, the whole deal. They look tieflingy. Um, and you could you could make that more you could you could make that more uh, prevalent if you actually let the Eridar be playable. Like if you actually brought in playable Eridar for like one of the factions. The problem with that is I don't know who'd take them. Yeah, I mean they like, kind of mess uh, up our stuff. Yeah, the horde, the orcs would definitely be like no. You know, everyone says like, oh, the horde should get Eridar. I'm like, yeah, I can't imagine orcs ever being okay with that. I, the orcs would be like, f that. You know what they did to us? No. Um, so I, I'm not sure on that one, but I, it is one of those things. You, I can imagine a pocket of Eridar who were like, yeah, okay, the whole demon thing was a mistake. Joining the Alliance, of all things. I could see the Alliance actually letting that happen if, like, say, Velen came forth. I was like, just going to say, yeah, chance. I could see Velen going, if they're really repenting, we should give them a chance, blah, blah, blah. Like, I could yeah. see him doing that because that's totally Velen style, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so maybe do it that way. But again, that's not something that's entirely new to WoW. WoW has a lot of stuff that if you actually stop and look at D&D, lines up pretty well. Like, you can find... There are constructs in WoW that you could use as Warforged, for example. You, you, you yourself mentioned that the, we've seen lots of constructs in WoW that could, could be along those lines. You absolutely could do that. So it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's hard. I, there, I, there's, like, if I, I was going to say maybe Leonin, and then I'm like, oh, no, we've got Sabron. We do have Sabron, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, if your thing is that we just don't have it as a playable race right now, there's a ton of options, but... If you're saying specifically this thing is not in WoW at all, I have a harder time coming up with anything. So I have one, actually, and I think this is I think this is potentially interesting. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot recently with the Shadowlands, the nature of it and how everything works and the idea of spirit, but also the idea of elementals is what would happen if we had basically Genasi? You had what would happen if a mortal and an elemental paired. We have precedent for it already. Where, I mean, quasi, uh, an immortal being, uh, it, but still, you know, existing on the plane of flesh, uh, and an elemental had children. But what if we took that a step further? What if there were Genasi? What if the elements, you know, because they're comprised of the same sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, anima spirit that we are, could commingle? Could have children out there that had, you know, natural predisposition for, you know, earth, water, air, and fire? I think that would be really cool. And I think that could be very interesting. And you could have them be human and you could have them be, um, you know, any various sort of like physical appearance that you want, but have them have sort of like that elemental kin to and have them have something that draws upon that element. And I think that would be really neat because again, elemental, the elementals exist. They're technically existed on this, those planet before we did. And we're kind of constructed ultimately from the planet, question mark. Um, so maybe having some sort of intermixing between that. And then you could have that exist on both factions because it wouldn't really necessarily have to be a their alliance or horde because the alliance and the horde at this point now have interactions with elementals across the board. Uh, some of them just seem to be more predis- predisposed to have interactions with certain ones. Fire uh, and earth tend to be more horde oriented that seems to be something that they've had much more interaction with uh, you know what i'm thinking of though go ahead you just made me think of this we kind of do have it already that the the, the uh, yongal have yongal who've been f- somehow become fire uh-huh so you could have it be not necessarily you don't have to have been born to a union of a, a, an elemental and but a, they've and adopted a the, the but they've adopted you, it into them or something perhaps there's a way you could just you know like like you you just said you, you'd have it like it could be something that you it's it, it could be inborn or maybe it's something you can learn or what have you I don't know but or maybe you could like maybe it's something where you go you go to the elemental plane and get exposed enough you become part infused the element i don't know gamma radiation man it solves everything it just makes me think that you could you could have it be something where you could actually have it be kind of a class thing you could have an elemental class that does that and that way you could have it be horde and alliance it's just a class like instead of the rune like they wanted to have the 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 rune one for a long time i want to say yeah not the rune priest i don't remember what they were what they were calling it but instead of that you could or something i don't i forgot yeah But instead of that, you could actually have it be like the the you know the the, the elemental infused or something, you know, just the infused, and they're they're like live they're living elementals. So they use they instead of like the way the shamans do, where they command and, and and converse with elementals and make deals with them. These guys just bring it into their body. They're sort of like physical adepts from Shadowrun. Yeah, that's interesting. This has 
We we do this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, Estrella, thank you for those questions. Uh, I think we should. I I kind of want to revisit question two in long format. I'm not yeah. going to lie. <laughs> Maybe it's before, yeah. Uh, but I think we're going to move on to our next one, which is from our good, very large lizard man, Godzilla. Uh, question for Lorewatch or Blizzard Watch. Uh, I feel like I have to play Thrall's advocate on this because it feels like people are once again unfairly blaming Thrall for Garrosh's actions. Yes, Thrall chose him to be the war chief, but Thrall never told him to mana bomb Theramore or get juiced up on Yasharaj Mojo, etc. Thrall was 100% factful when he told Garrosh that he, Garrosh, made his own choices. And the cinematic in 9.1 hammers at home. Garrosh said those were his choices. Yes, Thrall should feel some guilt, but at the same time, Garrosh made his own choices. If we blame Thrall for Garrosh, then we pretty much have to blame the Jailer for Sylvanas. Yet everyone is saying Sylvanas has to face her choices and no one is blaming the Jailer. So yes, I am miffed that I don't get to see Thrall smack Garrosh around one last time and reinforce that Garrosh chose his own fate. Thrall put him, uh, put him on a path, but Garrosh chose which path to follow. Which forks in the road to take. Um, I'm going to say I partially agree and partially disagree. So the reason that a lot of people, at least in my case, blame Thrall for a lot of what happened to Garrosh is because he left Garrosh. He left him thinking that everything was going to be okay. Knowing who Garrosh was and knowing what he was setting down on that path, I think is the problem. Because if you look at it, their interactions, Garrosh, even while Thrall was around, respected other orcs more than anything else. So when Thrall leaves and says, oh, Bane will handle it, it's fine. Yeah, that's bad. And that is what we sort of blame him for. Sticking around and seeing how he would have done things and maybe offering guidance and standing up and saying, stop this. As an orc, Garrosh would have been more likely to listen. Yes, he is ultimately responsible for his own actions. Yes, he thinks what he did was right. And yes, he thinks he made the best choices at the time. But he's not the only one to blame for what happened because he made the best choices with what information he had. And yes, he absolutely should be held accountable for mana bombing Theramore and deciding that getting juiced up on Yashiraj is, is okay. But Thrall also shouldn't be completely absolved of that because he didn't stick around long enough to give him proper guidance. He never actually set him up. He said, all right, cool. I'm going to go have a family now. By the way, you're running the horde. Peace. And then left and thinking that everybody else that he left behind was going to take care of it for him. That's the problem with Thrall. And with the Sylvanas thing, maybe an unpopular opinion, but I think she got fleeced. I'm not saying that she's not responsible for what she did, but there is an element of she got lied to and manipulated. And yeah, but I'm not going to blame her for getting manipulated because, well, she got manipulated. He had something that she she wanted. She was blind to, to some of the stuff that was going on. She still made terrible choices. She should still have to uh, seek whatever sort of resolution is for the things that she chose to do. But again, that doesn't absolve the jailer. The jailer is a maniacal maniac who definitely contributed to a lot of death that occurred. And again, it's just one of those things. It's Thrall's not completely absolved of everything that happened. The jailer's not completely absolved of everything that happened, but neither is Garrosh and certainly not Sylvanas. What do you think, Matt? There's an old saying that I'm stealing from Dune where it's like, if, if a subordinate creates a problem, it is the fault of those in authority for not anticipating the problem. Uh, I don't know that I totally agree with it, but I think it's worth considering in the case of Thrall. I, I don't think anyone is saying Thrall is wholly responsible for anything that, that Garrosh did. It is very clear that Garrosh did things Thrall would not approve. Oh, of course. But Thrall does bear some responsibility for putting him in power, not just because people like Bane told him not to, but because Thrall himself is the guy who went to Nagrand in the first place, found a Garrosh who was utterly tortured by, by the sins of his father, who was afraid he too would be corrupt like that, that he couldn't be trusted, that he couldn't lead his own people. And Thrall was like, no! No, your dad was a hero. He saved us. And that, it was true as far as it went, but he didn't ever stop to help Garrosh get the nuance of it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, nah, your dad was a hero. It was, your dad did do those things. He did damn our people, but then he gave his life to save us. He made right what he once made wrong, mm -hmm. and he paid the price for his actions. If that had been the lesson that Thrall taught Garrosh, I think Garrosh would have come out of it a different person. And 
I, I'm not saying Thrall is necessarily supposed to be the guy who teaches everybody everything, but he was the shaman. A shaman is the spiritual leader of the people. Garrosh was just, you know, a, a, somebody who's really good with an axe. Garrosh uh, was some, a general, not a shaman. Yeah, and wasn't even a general at that point. He hadn't been put in command of any forces. He'd, he'd barely led a tribe, and he'd led it poorly because he didn't believe he was worthy of anything. Oh, well, yeah, the Northrend assault that he led, right? That's after. I'm talking, you meet him in Nagrand. This is a broken person. Yep, fair, this, is somebody, fair, fair, fair. this is somebody who does not have any confidence in himself. And instead of coming along and saying, look, yes, your dad made mistakes, but, and there's there's stuff to admire too, you you have in you that ability. He's just like, no, your dad was the greatest. Here, here it is. Here's an image of him totally kicking Manoros butt. You, you've got it wrong. He was the, the greatest. And he, I'm sorry, Grom Hellscream was a monster who did awful things, mm-hmm. and he was a hero who did good things. He was complicated, and Thrall didn't teach him that complication because Thrall himself is very young and wasn't raised among orcs. It's like the 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 things we we are quote unquote blaming Thrall for are in in turn not entirely Thrall's fault. Thrall does not actually understand how the the, the orcs of Nagrand think because he wasn't raised among them. He didn't live there. He didn't live it. And so he he wants to be you know he wanted to connect with his orcish heritage and he went forth and tried to find it and he absolutely became the leader of his people. But he did so at a remove. They had to teach him orcish when he found them. He didn't speak it. You know, there's there's a lot to Thrall. It's just as there's a lot to Garage, there's a lot to Grom. These are complicated people. But I mean, and when I say... And, and that's... That, oh, no, just what I'm saying is, it's not as simple as Thrall is wholly responsible for Garage. And I know you right. didn't say that. I'm that's, just, that's what I'm, I'm just going on. Yeah. yeah, you absolutely didn't say that. And I'm not saying that you did. Thrall is not wholly responsible for Garage's actions. Absolutely not. Does he bear some responsibility for them? Absolutely he does. And he himself would be the first to tell you that. He says as much to Jaina mm-hmm. when the two of them are standing outside Thunder Bluff in, in Battle for Azeroth. He's like, sometimes I feel like everything I did, you know, I, it, it all went wrong. You know, Garrosh, Bane, so many things I wish I could have done differently. It's not that he, you know, he's not kicking himself and saying, I'm woe is me, I'm always wrong. But he is at the same time saying, you know, I, I do bear responsibility for this. I'm responsible for my choices, just like Garage was responsible for his. And is it true that Garage is responsible for his choices? Absolutely. How many times did people try to offer him another path? Bane tried to talk him down. Then Bane tried to, you know, t- talk to him in the only language he knew how to talk to him in. And would have won if not for the poison on, on Gorhal. Bane would have kicked Garage's butt. He was winning that fight. Yeah, and, and that's the distinction that I, I, I don't think I was articulating properly is just that... Again, these individual characters are responsible for the actions that they took. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that the scenario that they were put in was entirely their choice or fault. But at the same time, however, I do have to go into one of the differences between Garrosh and Sylvanas in this situation. Oh, there's a huge difference, yes. Well, there's a lot of huge differences. One of them is that this, right or wrong, Garrosh didn't delude himself. No, he knew what he was doing was awful. Yeah, and here's well, he didn't think it was awful because to him it would only be awful if it was happening to the people he cared about. Garage was tribal. He's, yeah, he's the, because he was a Nagrand orc who'd never been raised any other way. Thrall is cosmopolitan. He sees all orcs and therefore kind of all people, like the entire horde. He saw as his responsibility, his to protect, his to care for. Garage much less strongly felt that. Garage was tribal by nature. He, you know, in, in that way that the orcs were. Like, there's some places that are completely different. Their tribalism is not inherently bad. It's just the way he, he took it. And the difference here is that Grosh never misled himself or deluded himself. I think Sylvanas did, because nobody is smart enough to manipulate Sylvanas Windrunner if Sylvanas doesn't want to be manipulated. Sylvanas is a incredibly cunning, tactical genius. He's got a blind spot. She has the blind spot that allowed Draconda here to manipulate her people and effectively get around her. She doesn't, she never stopped to think that some, one of their own might betray her. And this time she wanted to believe that he would fix everything she thinks is wrong in existence. She wanted to believe that the jailer would forge a new fair universe where things that were like what happened to her wouldn't happen. Cause what happened to her was monstrously unfair. And, and you cannot dispute that what she went through was unfair. Garage Nothing that happened to Garrosh was unfair. Mm-hmm. 
but everything that Sylvanas went through before her death was unfair from the beginning. And she's right. And she says that, you know, that these things, this is existence. This is the way life is. It's all just gone. And you're, you're this thing now. And all that's, that's all true. Sylvanas's anger is coming from a real place. So does that mean I think Sylvanas is not responsible for her actions? Oh, heck no. No, no, she definitely is. Uh, and not only that, I think she's even more responsible than Garrosh is because unlike Garrosh, she got there because she let someone lie to her, knowing nobody should have believed anything he said. It's, it's, it brings me back to, of all things, Dragon Age 2. There's a part where your party goes to the Fade and a demon offers one of your, your party members, Meryl, a deal. And she takes it. And afterwards, she's even like, I knew not to trust him. I don't know why I did. But the truth was, she did because she wanted to. Mm -hmm. She wanted what he was saying and wanted it so badly that it didn't matter that she knew it was a lie. Because the very chance that it might not be a lie was all she needed to delude herself. That, to me, is Sylvanas right now. That's basically what I was going to say. You said it a lot more eloquently than I did, so thank you. Yeah, and, and so there's a difference. I think... They're both responsible for their actions. Uh, I think Garrosh's responsibility is more so that he's continuously refused any uh, any offer to to mend his ways, to, to learn from his mistakes, to do things differently. No. When presented with a chance in the afterlife to repent of his actions, he, he strip says, I'd do it all again. He... When Kael'thas Sunstrider is more reasonable about his faults and failings as a person than you are, you're off the page, man. Mm-hmm. And that's that's Garash's problem. Savannah's problem is that she deliberately closed her eyes to what was happening, no matter how many times people told her what was happening. And she knew it was happening. You could see in every little sidelong glance she gave him. Yeah, every she knew. Time she knew, wait, this isn't right. But she, she was like, "No, we're gonna, we're we're going." It's the sunk cost fallacy in action. It's I've gone too far. We have to go through with this. It, one of the things that you have to keep in mind with any decision you make in your life is this: if you can't abort it, then you should never have taken it. If you can, if you can't stop in the middle of a decision and say, "Wait, this was a mistake," you're in trouble. There, there's an old saying in Spycraft: you can always walk away. You can always walk away from an op. If you're doing a mission and things get dicey, you can always walk away. Because if you can't walk away, you messed up. There has to always be an escape. There's always the, the ability to go, This was, I, I now have new information. Things are different. I can change tack. And you even see that Sylvanas finally does when it's too late. And that's, I think, the tragedy here is that Sylvanas, well, maybe it's too late. Maybe it's not. We'll see. That's one of the things I think is really fascinating about this, that we will see what Sylvanas does with what's what's going on. And how she's going to change, too, because of the scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the situation she's in is now wildly different than it was at the start of her journey. Like, yes, Going absolutely. back to Cataclysm. Like, this has been a long, slow descent. And, I, I, but... and also, I mean, Garrosh never had... There is that, that fact that Sylvanas was murdered by a, by, a, by a weapon that literally tears your soul into pieces and was raised from the dead with it and thus not fully returned. So it's, it's, it, Garrosh never had that. Garrosh was taking his actions with no, there, there's no wound or illness coloring his, his judgment. Sylvanas couldn't see the world the way it actually was. That doesn't make anything she did right. It doesn't mean she's not responsible for her actions because there's plenty of Forsaken out there and they're not all destroying the world. So yeah, no, I, I don't. I definitely think there's responsibility to be had, but I definitely think they're different cases and they should be handled differently. I'd agree, and I th- and I think that is the most eloquent way to say it. All right, so I think we can move on to the next one unless there is anything else uh, you want to say about that. I'll no, take- I think I got it. I think you did too, and thank you for that. Uh, this one comes from Winterfell, a worgen frost death knight. Uh, Hi, Watchers. I was listening to the podcast where you discussed the Night Warrior and Night Elf Paladins. And it made me wonder if a new round of race class combinations could be unlocked through questing. We already have unlockable content in the game. Demon Hunters and Death Knights used to have to be unlocked. There are still 10 allied races that need to be unlocked before they can be played. And as you mentioned, at least one cosmetic option, the Night Warrior Eyes, is unlockable. Assuming that Blizzard does not simply abolish race class restrictions, do you think it would be going too far to put a set of race class combinations behind a quest line or should there just be an optional quest line explaining it like the uh tahu Aponi conversation of the taran slash highborn conversation back in wrath 
And another lore-related note, what exactly is the status of the Night Elves and Worgen within the Alliance? I know that there's there no way any playable race is going to leave or change the faction. From a lore point of view, are they still in the Alliance? Are they consider are they considered leaving, or is there just a temporary chill in the relationship? Um, I'll start with the second one because I think it's easier than the first one. Uh, first, so they're still in the Alliance, kinda. I mean, the Worgen definitely are. Technically, again, is leading things in the uh, with the assistance of Turalyon and uh, the rest of what's left of the Alliance that's sticking around in the absence of Anduin, uh, or at least that's what it's being portrayed as. They're still there. Um, and if anything, Gen has gotten a little more less standoffish as far as how that goes. Um, I, I gotta say, I love that you you expressed it a little more less standoffish. <laughs> I couldn't think of the best word for it. Um, I mean, that's actually because no, it, it fits because it is. He isn't a little less standoffish. He's a little more less standoffish. He's still pretty standoffish. Yeah, it's just, it's just different little little tiny baby degrees, right? Yeah, it's uh, like he put his toe in. Yeah, and then I mean, it was like Turalyon, you're going to handle all this, right? Yeah, okay, I'm going to go back to being me. I'm going to brood in the corner and tell you you're doing everything wrong. Yeah, I, I do want to say that I, I think the night elves, the night elves are definitely still in the alliance, in part because. Taronda has been too focused on other things to do anything else. Yep. Like she, she's doing the whole Shadowlands thing. She's, she's very focused on the hunt for Sylvanas. Whether or not she would take them out is an open question. I don't think she would unless she felt she couldn't get what she wanted while being in the Alliance. If that were the case, though, yeah, I think she'd yank him out. Oh, yeah, 100%. But, uh, I also think that the Toronto we've been seeing lately, I don't know. I don't think that's going to be the Toronto who comes out of Shadowlands. No, no. Um, but the Toronto we've got right now is almost more likely to simply behead Anduin and seize power. And if anybody got in her way, kill them too. Like, I would love to see, like, I'm not going to lie, like a standoff between her with the Night Warrior power and Gen Greymane. I'd be so on board for that. I don't know if the Gen would last very long, quite frankly. I know. Um, and I think he needs that. I would love to see him have that sobering reality. I can't stop her, you know, like it would be an interesting thing. But I do think that the Toronto we see coming out of this is going to be different. I don't know if she'll still be in charge. I don't know if Chandris is going to step in. I don't know. I think Chandris should. Um, I also think that Chandris and Maya should go out because it would drive Jared absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. would be great. But anyway, I do think that the Night Elves are in for some change. I don't know how much of it we're going to get to see because the problem with World of Warcraft is by its very nature, we're kind of always off to some new place and we don't get a lot of time to focus on stuff like this. Battle for Azeroth was kind of unique in that it spent a lot of time dealing with like the current state of affairs. Yeah. Like, you know, and it, I don't definitely know an abnormality. Get, yeah. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know how much of that we're going to get to see in the future, but I definitely think that the night elf position in the Alliance is definitely one. Ironically, I'd say their position is stronger now. I would agree. I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Because a, they, they're up in Hyjal where they're they're right there. They on literally. Galador. They also literally have the high ground. Yeah, but more importantly, it's like the 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 thing they went through. The trauma has crystallized them as a people in a way they haven't been in a very long time. They've sort of remembered. Oh, we're incredibly good warriors because it took the whole horde to push up to Teldrassil against mostly just, just the night elves. elves. And afterward, when the Forsaken were trying to hold it. They failed. They got pushed out. The, for, the the Night Elves, again, pretty much by themselves, with some help from some allies, but certainly not the, the Alliance, that the Alliance forces did not come. It was mostly just the Night Elves pushed the Forsaken out of Darkshore and retook it. And they basically hold everything they once held again, plus Hyjal, plus they are now totally focused on, you know, they don't. None of the diffidence is there anymore. And, and think- meanwhile, the Alliance has also had to face up to the fact that the Night Elves not only don't really feel like they need the Alliance, they feel like they can, if the, if, if the Alliance tells them something, they're like, we decide if we're going to follow you. We decide what we do. And there's if a, we don't like it, we'll do what we want to do. That's a return to force, too, for the Night Elves from the time that they were introduced in Warcraft 3, right? Like, that was sort yeah. of the whole thing. They were the unseen army that had this complete control over the battlefield. That was how they were introduced. They were introduced as this powerhouse, not an alliance. They were their own thing. They were their own mm-hmm. faction. Yeah, they, were these were not stand-up. They weren't stand-up fighters. Like an, an, a night elf against an orc, it they can they can have a fight, 
but that's not the night elf way of fighting. The night mm. elves don't fight like let's bring an entire army and just go toe to toe. No, the night elves are like let's let them walk past us thinking they're safe and assassinate them from the darkness. It's actually a very good matchup with the Forsaken. That's one of the things I thought was that's actually really inspired to have the night elves in the Forsaken because each in their own way is like a creature of the night. They're a creature of darkness and shadow. Differently, the night elves are all about the natural version of it and then and the Forsaken are the unnatural version of it. But it's still basically the same thing. It's two sides of the same coin. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think the I'm going to be most fascinated to see what happens with the night elves as far as going forward. I'm very invested to see what happens with them in their relation uh, to the to the alliance as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know that the, this isn't really part of this question, so I don't think we should go into it too much. But I also think there's a lot to be done with the Forsaken after Shadowlands. And that's one of the things I would like to see. I would like it if the next expansion did deal with the Alliance and the Horde and their current status quo. Not necessarily making them fight again. I don't necessarily want to see that again. But I would like to see, okay, how does the Horde as a council work? How, you know, how is it like, how is it incorporated this things? What have they done with the Forsaken refugees? What's going on there? And stuff like that. And for that matter, I'd like to see the Alliance. What are the Night Elves doing? What's, you know... the there's just a ton of stuff we could get to see, and I would like to see it. Yeah. Now, the first part of your question, which I uh, want to get back to, is having unlockable class race combinations. I'm not opposed to that idea. And honestly, that might be something that does get introduced uh, if they do give us something like Night Elf Paladins. And it's something that I think would make sense for certain combinations therein. Um, if we're not going to get more... Um, allied races anytime soon if we're not going to get another class anytime soon having something that gives you sort of that that this is how it unlocks this is how it happens is not a bad thing especially if we go with the idea of the night warriors power being divided out to night elf paladins that could be a really cool unlock that could be a really cool event and something that you know players could experience now i understand that that's generally not how race class combinations have worked in the past for World of Warcraft, but it would be interesting, even if it's just a scenario that you run through to give you that option as something that you can do um, and then make it account wide. If you've done it once, you just have it available for everybody. Um, but I could see something like that being a really cool introduction to some of those new uh, class race combinations. Um like there's this whole thing where people keep asking for Valpera to become druids because there are Valpera can't be druids. So having something where they discover druidity would not be a terrible thing. It could actually be a whole ton of fun with how they approach it and how they deal with it. It's the same thing with like goblins becoming shaman. I would have loved to have seen how that conversation went down. Like we know that they sort of like treat it like a transaction, like a business deal, but how did they get there? I would have loved to have seen that story uncover in real time. And maybe that's just me being a little bit selfish about it. But I think those are really cool things. Those are really neat things. And we did kind of get a little bit about that when, you know, we got Torn Paladin. But it wasn't necessarily like a quest to unlock him. We just got to see how the story unfolded. Um, so, yeah, I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with something that would allow that. What do you think, Matt? I want... I'm just going to be upfront with what I want. And I don't, this is not me saying this will happen. I'm I'm not predicting this, but I want them to drop class race restrictions entirely because I think they're, they're dumb. Uh, I just don't get it. It's like, sure. Maybe almost no Torin would become rogues, but there's gotta be one skinny Torin who wants to sneak around. Hey, we know one of those. We know one of those. Hi, caddy. So yeah, that, that straight up front. That's my first thing. Secondly, a lot of MMOs have different ways of approaching the concept of class. Uh, the one of the like the Final Fantasy one has jobs, and they basically have borrowed that from the the, the single player Final Fantasy games, mm-hmm. where you could basically the one that really was of all things, Ten Two, in my opinion, had one of the best systems for this, uh, where you could just basically be anything. Like you could play this character as a, a as a melee combatant or a spellcaster or a healer or whatever you wanted. I would love it if, say, like, I'm on my Torn Warrior right now, who I really like, and I haven't played him in a long time, and I've been feeling really morose about that, so I got on him today for the stream. And I'm thinking about leveling him, I just don't have a home Horde side, so I don't know what I would do. It'd be, it would be kind of hard to grind all the way to 60 and then do everything alone. That would kind of bum me out, so I don't know. But I keep thinking about, what if I could, like, we, we used to have the thing where we would go to the trainer and spend some money and switch our spec. 
And then they just made it you could be whatever spec you wanted at any time. And that's great and all. But imagine if you could go to the trainer and spend some gold and now you're a paladin. And then when you were done with that or you didn't want to be playing a paladin right now, you could go to the trainer and spend some gold and now you're a death knight. And maybe it's restricted to armor type. So you could, paladins, warriors, and death knights could, could switch between them. Uh, shaman and hunters, the various leather classes. I don't know. You know. Lots of ways it could go. But I'd love to see some variation on that where you're not limited to one class on one character. Yeah. And because we've, we've talked it, about it because the job system is so it, it makes it so much more easy and inviting to try things, right? Yeah, and it's it's one of those situations where I get why you might not want to do that. I do, I understand it, and I like I said, I don't expect this, but I do think that at the very least, make it so you can be a Draenei warlock. I I, I personally think the concept of a Draenei warlock is abhorrent. I would never play one ever. But somebody but would. There's, there's got to be some Draenei out there who's like you know heck. All those Eridar warlocks were once basically Draenei. Like the Draenei were, and the Eridar were the same people. It's got to be, you know, we see in in Warlords of Draenor, we see a Draenei become a warlock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just, yeah, I I, they, I feel like it's got to be something. Like, just, just have it. Like, just let people play whatever they want. If Dungeons and Dragons could come around to it after like, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of not letting it happen... Then, then World of Warcraft can. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. Like that would be what I would absolutely love. That would be the 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 gold standard, right? Like that would be. I think that's how it should have been. We've talked about it before, right? Absolutely, and I know that you feel that way. But I just want to make it clear. For, I want to make it clear for the listeners that, that maybe not normally listen to us that that I'm not I'm not against that. I just think that I like the idea of developing story for how things happen like that. Sure, I, and like, that, I honestly, I would love it if, like, at the end of an expansion, perhaps. You'd have a whole thing where you know the cosmos has changed, and you know now new new paths of power are open to people or something. I, go for it, do yeah. that. You know, after the Shadowlands thing, you know we stop the jailer and prevent the universe from being destroyed, but in the process, the, the universe recon, is reconfigured. You know, it's Crisis on Infinite Earths. I don't care. Just let me have let me have this. <laughs> and honestly, I'd be super into it. So I mean, I and one day I kind of want I want that to happen too because I think. I do think that class restrictions are goofy, but I know some of them exist for some reasons, right? Um, way back when, and I, I'm not going to believe, you know, take this out too long because I know we're coming up on time. Uh, but druids all had the same form, right? It, with the exception of horde druids had horns and yeah, maybe all, a beard. Yeah, because there were there were only two. There were only two uh, druid classes, there, and the the horde druid and night elf druids were always different like they had different cat forms it wasn't yeah. just that the horde ones had horns the horde ones were lions and the the, the night elf ones were like panthery types yeah but yeah they as we've gotten more druids each druid has come in with a story and that's been pretty cool i really but, like the, the the ones we got for trolls where yeah. like you know the, there's a story element to it i totally get where you're going with that yeah and just to make it clear for everybody else i don't even though matt gets in i'm sure you guys do as well is that there's art assets that are associated with it so like having a volpera one do you just recycle something that's already out there or do they get their own foxy version of druid forms and it's the same thing for all those other ones what do you do for mechanome druids uh, shrink the warden <laughs> But I mean, or or Worgen druids, or, or things like that. Like there, there is some of that to consider. And I Worgen druids, man. I don't know. Have you played a Worgen druid? I have not. Dog cat and dog bear are fantastically amusing to me. It's like <laughs> it's it's just something about this wolfy looking dog cat thing. It's like what's going on? But it, it's just some of that is restricted by that, right? Oh, yeah, I think absolutely. Druids, druids are the roadblock for that. I think for the most part, and then shamans would have to have art assets for their totems. Yeah, um, and paladins need to get like special mounts and stuff. Yeah, it, I get where you're going. I understand why there are there are reasons that we can't just throw it all open at once. But there's nothing that says we can't work towards it. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that'd be cool if we got new race class combinations. If there was a quest for it, I always felt a little weird that there wasn't a quest for when Blood Elves got warriors because they, they were the only holdouts. They were the only ones who didn't get warriors. And then suddenly one day it was like some Blood Elf was like, you know what? I'm tired of studying the Holy Light. I'm just going to hit things with an axe. It's simpler. And like a whole bunch of else was like, yeah, yeah, let's just hit things with an axe. I don't want to learn anything. <laughs> it's like they're, they're like if you think about blood elf warriors the biggest rebels in blood elf society because they've rejected the entire arcane tradition and then they didn't pick up anything else to compensate for it they just like we're gonna lift weights we're just gonna get swole they didn't get swole but they still hit things 
Hey, it's true. I had the no lies detected. <laughs> but I think that's going to do it for us because I think we are at time. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast sighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue. We're an answer free site experience. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, and thank you guys for being here with us and putting up with some technical limitations and all that stuff. Uh, we love doing the show because we love doing the show with you guys. Uh, if you have a question for the show, send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com, the subject line podcast at blizzardwatch, so we know it's for the show, or hit us up on the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel on Discord or the Q Questions channel on Discord. Uh, or you can just directly add us on Discord or even Twitter or, I don't know, you know, beam it to me telepathically if you can do that but quite frankly maybe don't because i don't want to be like oh god i'm going crazy no it's just questions for the show that that wouldn't thank you guys though for everyone for being here with us this has been the blizzard watch podcast and we'll be back next week just hit things Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.